Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. Yeah, so I've been learning a little bit about attachment theory, and so hugging felt like an appropriate thing to do since I'm going to talk a little bit about attachment theory. Um, I'm not an expert in this. Some of you may not be familiar with this at all. Some of you, I'm sure there's probably some counselors and therapists in here who know this much better than me. Um, And so I'm not going to go long into it. One, because I don't want to psychoanalyze you. I don't want you psychoanalyzing yourself. And I definitely don't want you psychoanalyzing me. Uh, But attachment theory... um, It was started by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth, and basically um, they were examining kids and how they interact with their parents and how they interact when their parents leave a room and what kind of anxiety that produces and how that overcomes. But anyway, there's basically, uh, depending on what you look at, there's four different types of attachment. And I have a lovely picture to depict those. Um, But uh, three of them are insecure. Uh, Insecure, anxious, or ambivalent insecure, avoidant, or insecure, disorganized. And none of them are particularly good. Um, They are good in the sense that they are developed as a way of coping with relationships. But the ideal in in this uh, attachment theory is secure attachment. So that's the good one. And then they estimate there's probably around 50 to 60% of us that are securely attached. Uh, And so much of attachment depends on an attachment figure, uh, usually the parent or the caregiver. And so much of this is formed even within the first year or two of life, um, impacts a lot of our attachment. Um, So you can maybe decide which one you are just based on the pictures. Um, But securely attached people tend to be people who have high self-esteem seek out social connection and support. They're able to share feelings and emotions more openly. They engage in relationships with a high level of trust. And so with all this attachment, trust is a huge thing. And so I started to learn about attachment theory when Jenny and I began the process of becoming certified to become foster parents. Uh, And we went into this training called TBRI, which stands for a trust-based relational intervention. That's a mouthful. But as we learned this, attachment is all about trust. Can I trust my caregiver to meet my needs? Both physical needs, emotional needs, and all of these things. Uh, And so for kids from hard places, which are kids in foster care, they tend not to be securely attached because they have needs that have not been met. Uh, But there is this other form of attachment called secure, or earned secure attachment, which means brains can actually be rewired. And we can earn secure attachment by having secure attachment figures. I'm not sure that Jenny and I are the most secure attachment figures for our boys, but we're working on it. Um, But this training was designed to help us be that uh, for our kids. There are three core principles to TBRI. They are correcting, empowering, and connecting, and this is all about parenthood. This is good for kids from hard places, it's good for any kids, but this is not a parenting class. Uh, But you know what correcting is, right? Discipline. How do you correct behavior in your kids? Empowering deals with things like healthy diet, 
exercise, getting enough sleep, um, getting enough water to drink, making sure that you have all those things so that your body can regulate emotion and regulate all these different things. And connecting is engaging together. Eye contact, physical contact, playful engagement, those are really good things. Now, for most of the parents, what do you spend most of your time doing? Correcting? I went into this and I'm like, yeah, teach me how to correct my kids because we want them to behave correctly. And so for a lot of us, correcting becomes this big thing. But as we engaged in this training, I said, this is the deal. You need to focus on connecting. So they form this as a pyramid. If you spend the bulk of your energy connecting with your kid, building healthy attachment, you're setting yourself up for success. If you do a great deal of empowering, that's going to help them. They will learn independence. They will learn that they can trust you to meet their needs. And then, hopefully, you get to that small piece of correcting. And the, even in the correcting, in what they teach us, is that correcting is all about connection, too. So correcting is things like redos. There's a book called Redo Rue, if you're interested. <clears throat> so you correct, but you're giving them an opportunity to do the right thing. And you do it in a way that you meet them at their level and work with them. So you're trying to connect through this whole process. So it's all about connection. All right, I said this wasn't a, a parenting class. <clears throat> but as I sat through these trainings, because I love Jesus and I love thinking about theology, I kept thinking, oh my goodness, that's the God of the gospel. That's the God that I know. The God who became incarnate, who became one of us to connect with us. The God who gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us, to live as a people we should be, to give us power to impact the world around us, to grow in health. And a God who many people tend to think has this very big correcting principle that's focused on punishment and rewarding. But actually, he's a God who connects and empowers and then corrects by offering us a second chance, by offering us a redo. So this just kind of like, like, wow, God's awesome. And it's always fun to have like these new lenses to see the goodness of God. Um, and so I share that with you this morning. Um, not that you'll catch all of it, but it's all about secure attachment. And there's no better person that we can attach ourselves than to God. And over the last few weeks uh, in your house churches, you've been reading uh, in the Gospel of John some of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. Uh, and so I want to just look briefly at them just to see Jesus at work, connecting, empowering, correcting. Um, the first story is in John 20. This is one you didn't look at in house church, but maybe you did because our house church shepherds are rebels and don't always pay attention to the liturgy, which is great. Um, 
But the first passage is uh, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that, she, that he had said these things to her. Here's Mary, blinded by grief, and Jesus does not leave her alone, but comes to connect with her, calling her by name, offering comfort and hope. I'm so grateful for the work that Katina and others have done in helping us as a church to lean into grief and not run away from it. Jesus is the great connector. He isn't afraid of our grief. He meets us in the midst of it. So whatever you may be grieving, I trust that Jesus wants to meet you in that. Mary's looking for Jesus, but blinded by grief and doesn't even recognize him right in front of her face. I was reading about another woman who was suffering from deep grief after the loss of her dad. And after about a year, she finally broke down. But she realized that God had been waiting for her and ready to connect with her. And she wrote this, because the grief was too blinding to find God, I had to let him find me. I didn't know how, but he did. Sometimes healing is just that, letting God hold you. And after this story, Mary goes and tells the disciples, and the disciples lock themselves in a room. So starting in John 20, verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So the disciples locked in a room, imprisoned by fear. Have you ever experienced fear so disabling? 
And it's kind of funny to me that they're all locked in this room together. Um, but I remembered when my sons were younger, uh, Daniel, who's older, used to be afraid to go into the dark. Um, even though he knew where the light switch was and he could turn the light on himself, he didn't want to walk down the dark hall to get there. And so he wanted his little brother Tristan to go with him, which was funny to me because Tristan was just as afraid of the dark as Daniel was. And what good is a two-year-old going to do if there is something in that dark space? But there's something about, I guess, camaraderie that the disciples, yeah, let's all get together, even though we're all scared to death. But Jesus comes to them. He meets them in the space of their fear to connect with them and offer words of encouragement, the word peace. Now, this was a typical greeting, a very typical greeting for their culture, kind of like saying, hey, how are you? But Jesus, I'm pretty certain, was meaning something much deeper. The last two times that Jesus speaks of peace to his disciples are in John 14, 27, where he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. And in John 16, 33, I have said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. That's one of the promises of Jesus that we don't really like. In this world, you will have trouble. But take courage. I have overcome the world. In me, you may have peace. So I'm fairly certain that Jesus is meeting them in this space to remind them of what he had told them about his peace. And to say, look at the wounds in my hands. Yes, I've had trouble, but I have overcome the world. Jesus meets us in the place of our fear. And for the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to not read this next story, but you know the story of Thomas, I'm sure. Doubting Thomas, as he's often referred, who says, I won't believe until I see his hands and, his, and the wounds in his side. I need to see it to believe it. And Jesus meets him in the space of his doubt. Jesus constantly comes to us in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our doubts. He comes alongside of us, not to shame or reject us, but to accept us and to show him, us himself. Before I get to the next story, I just want to mention that old narratives die hard. Old narratives are hard to come by. Earned secure attachment is hard to come by. Uh, my youngest son has an old narrative that doesn't seem to want to die. Uh, he hates walking to school. Um, and I think it originally started that he legitimately hated walking to school. Um, just because he didn't really like to walk, he would much prefer to ride. Um, sometimes the weather was cold, sometimes the weather was hot. Uh, the sun was too bright. Um, 
And there was a, a long time where he hated walking to school. He just really didn't like it. And I think part of that was he didn't want to go to school. Um, and so every morning, my oldest son loves walking to school. So you can see how this becomes a problem. So every morning, my oldest son will say, are we walking to school? Yeah, we're going to walk. No, I hate walking. All right, Tristan, it's going to be okay. We're going to walk. It's a beautiful day out. No, I hate the sun. <laughs> we're going to be okay. We'll make it, buddy. But over the last six months, I have seen this kid love walking to school. Gets outside. He starts skipping. He's running. He's saying hi to his friends, saying hi to the crossing guard. Excited to see his friends who are driving. Hey, I'll see you at school. Like, He's legitimately happy to be walking. And yet, every morning, hey, are we walking to school? Yeah, we're walking. I hate walking to school. Come on, Tristan, let that narrative die, please. But I say that because several months ago, we had one of the most memorable gatherings uh, that I can recall. Uh, Doug taught us about shame and the ways in which Jesus meets us to take away our shame and to give us a name. And we wrote on cards about the names that shame gives us, inadequate, unworthy, not good enough. And as Doug read those cards out loud, we responded as a congregation, but Jesus calls you a beloved child of God. It was beautiful, but old narratives die hard. And we need to continue to preach the good news to ourselves and continue to bring our shame to Jesus and to one another to have it ripped up. Shame was an old narrative for, for Peter. In Luke 5, Verses 8, this is when P Jesus first calls Peter. And he's fishing all night, and he doesn't catch anything. And Jesus commands him to send out the nets again. And he has this miraculous catch of fish. And Peter's response to Jesus is, when in Luke 5, verse 8, when P Simon Peter saw the great catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord. For I am a sinful man. He's ashamed. He feels unworthy to be with Jesus. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And Jesus invites him in and connects with him for three years. And at the end of three years, Peter denies Jesus. And so I can imagine Peter reliving this narrative after denying Jesus. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I am not worthy. I don't deserve to be with you. So living in the midst of his failure and shame, he does the only thing he thinks he's good at. After hearing of Jesus' resurrection, after encountering him, goes back to the only thing he thinks he's good at. He goes fishing. And ironically, or 
maybe not ironically, he fails at that too. In this story in John 21, Jesus meets him in his shame once again, cooks him breakfast, asks him, do you love me? Jesus offering acceptance, rewriting the narrative of shame, restoring Peter, restoring his worth. Empowering him with a meal. Empowering him with a task to feed my sheep. So in these stories of the risen Jesus, we see him connecting, empowering, and correcting, offering Peter a redo. All of that to say, Jesus is our greatest attachment figure. God is our security. He is the faithful one. Great is thy faithfulness. The one who is the most trustworthy. And Jesus' resurrection stands as the proof of God's trustworthiness. Jesus trusted God even into his death. And God proves trustworthy, raising him from the dead. Jesus connects, empowers, and corrects. Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus meets us in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our shame, to comfort, to encourage to bring peace, to assure, to forgive, to restore, to accept and love. In the middle of these passages, in John 20, verse 31, John writes, But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. I tend to believe that the word believe is not an accurate English word for what Jesus and what John is trying to capture here. This word pistuo is actually faith in verb form, but in English we don't have a verb for faith. So I think a better verb than believe would be trust. But these are written so that you may come to trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through trusting, you may have life in his name. And Jesus is the trustworthy one. In his book, The Shack, William P. Young writes, trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you are loved. So Jesus invites us to experience his love, the fullness of love. In John 17, 26, Jesus is praying to God and he says, I made your name known to them 
and I will make it known in flesh and blood, real human form. He makes God known to us so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Friends, my prayer for you, for all of us, is not that we earn a secure attachment, but that we receive God's graced secure attachment. So I want to close with Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. So I believe that it is a prayer for all of us. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's secure love and keep you secure. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Praise be to you, O Lord. You have secured our attachment to you by your grace. Help us to live in a grace-secure attachment to you, experiencing the fullness of your love and trusting you with our lives as you meet us in the midst of our grief, our fear, our doubt, and our shame. Or may we be secure to live in the freedom from fear and anxiety, the freedom of trust in you, in your goodness and your love for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.